Hello, everybody, and welcome in to a new episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by my colleague Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau as we break down another week in Mizzou sports. A lot of basketball discussion this week as we try to figure out what is going on with the Tigers and their tailspin. Um, but first, wanted to encourage folks to check out something Dave's working on that I think people are really going to enjoy. He had a lengthy conversation with Missouri football coach Eli Drinkwitz. It's going to be running um, in the paper this week as a, a Q&A, but it will be even more expanded online. So be sure to check that out if you want to get to know the Mizzou football coach a little bit better and get caught up on all things Tigers football. Um, with that, Dave, how are you? Sorry you had to watch that brutal basketball game the other evening. And, uh, and, and tell us a little bit before we switch to basketball about this, uh, this chat with Drink. Yeah, we had a good interview we, uh, Wednesday morning uh, at local uh, coffee place just, uh, you know, before he was actually he was coming from the office. So he is up early. And uh, no, it was it was good because, you know, it, it's really first first time I've seen the guy in person outside of just being way up in a press box. And he's on the sidelines since since March. Um, first in-person interview with him since the last spring practice. And that was a big scrum of people. So it was really good. He just hasn't had that chance to really interact with local media a whole lot um, because of the circumstances with COVID. So it, when, when you only talk via zoom um, you know, it's, it's really limited. And um, so this was, this was good. Also, this is kind of, I wouldn't say it's downtime because there's a lot of important stuff coming up. Spring football is coming up. They're, they're always recruiting, putting together the staff, uh, it's not like it's vacation time, but it, it, it's a, it is a chance for him to exhale a little bit after the season. He's been doing a lot of self-scouting, looking back at last season, analyzing the offense, what they did well, what you know they didn't do well, where they need to add some pieces. And uh, you know he's got a really good feel. And we, we discuss it in the um, – it's going to be more of a Q&A. And, and he uh, you know, really was pretty candid and looking back at the offense, really candid, look at the defense – and the change that they made to the staff there, as we all know, bringing in Steve Wilkes, replacing Ryan Walters. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I learned a lot. Hopefully readers will, too. Yeah, look forward to, to checking that out. I encourage folks to see it in paper, but also online because you'll have a little more room to, yeah, to get sure. a little more in there. So encourage folks to check that out, stltoday.com. Okay, Dave, hoops is going to be the topic here. Uh, of this week's episode, and there's not a lot of good things to discuss. Missouri drops its third consecutive game at Georgia, 80 to 70, their third straight loss after not having lost um, back-to-back games all year. They're on their first losing streak. Their second game without Jeremiah Tillman, who uh, has been away from the team after a death in the family. Um, no clear timetable on when he will be back, although certainly the Tigers hope it's for Saturday's game at South Carolina. Um, easy to kind of say, hey, this this team is not all that good when Tillman's not on the floor, which I think is fair, but also uh, not not entirely that just that either. I mean, they were up big in this game in the second half against Georgia. The Bulldogs come back and, and, and kind of give Missouri another second half collapse. Let's talk about the game. We'll also talk about how it affects the team's tournament standing, but also, uh, you know, maybe, you know, what they need to do to get out of this. But first, the game, 80 to 70. Um, what were your takeaways other than the fact that Missouri is, is up against them when they don't have their big center? Yeah, it, it, it was a lot like the Alabama game, um, different caliber of competition, obviously, because Alabama is the best team in the SEC and one of the very best in the country. And Georgia is not that Georgia has been struggling lately. They 
Um, you know, they, they, at one point they had won five out of seven. They were, it looked like they were turning the corner under Tom Crean. And then they had a couple uh, losses here, lost by 33 to that Alabama team, gave up 18 threes. So they looked really vulnerable, but um, especially then in the first 25 minutes of this game Tuesday, I mean, Missouri, I wouldn't say they were dominating because they don't really dominate anybody, but they were controlling the game, uh, playing really well through Kobe Brown, which is something they've never really done before. Parker Brown was, they had a little nice two-man game going. Uh, Drew Smith was playing well. Mark Smith was being productive. Uh, things were going really well for this team. And it wasn't a clean break at halftime either because they scored the right. first nine points in the second half. Uh, Georgia took six minutes to hit its first field goal. So you think then you're up 13. How do you screw that up? Uh, but we've seen this team do it. Time and time again, it is just a, it's a combination of things on both sides of the ball where things go wrong. Uh, they had some live ball turnovers. Those are the worst kind because you go from possessing the ball to losing the ball to giving up a basket right away. They did that several times. And even worse, Georgia hit three-pointers off of those live ball turnovers. They had three in a seven-minute span during that 25-7 to seven run. Offensively, Missouri, they had, they had the turnovers some really quick, bad shots. Xavier Pinson, usually the guy uh, at fault there. It just seemed like he was disengaged again from, from the game plan and from the rest of the team at times. Um, some fouls didn't go their way, although that by the end of the game, the foul count was pretty even, or at least it was down the stretch before Missouri had to foul, even though they really didn't do that. Uh, just more breakdowns. And Conzo was after the game, he was able to pinpoint, okay, this went wrong, this went wrong, and this went wrong. So he was diagnosing them pretty easily. He was sort of avoiding the bigger question is why? Why does this happen? What is there some, is there a psychological issue going on here where this team just cannot handle its own success? He did not think it was an effort or a grit problem. So he said, no, this was not Ole Miss where guys just didn't show up. It was just a matter of them falling apart and falling away from the game plan. And um, either way, it's really troubling that they, you should be able to win this game. You should be able to win this game at tip off. And then you should especially be able to win it when you're up 13, seven minutes into the second half. There's kind of three buckets, I think here. Um, one is, one is the guy who wasn't there. Tillman. Right. He does so much for this team, even when he's not scoring a ton of points defensively, protecting the rim, altering shots at the rim. Um, he is their guy that they tend to gravitate toward when they need a big bucket. Um, and and that's, that's, that's kind of been his identity this year. Uh, he's not there. So that's, that's one. What's the latest on, on JT? When can he, when are the Tigers expecting him back? Um, it's just obviously a sensitive topic here with, you know, some sort of a family issue. And, and I'll say this, I don't know specifically who he's lost in his family. The team is, I think going to let him address that if he chooses to when he when he returns. But COVID has hit his family pretty hard. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not something where, um, you know, the, this has been a hard year plus for Jeremiah Tillman's family. So, you know, remember we're talking about a young man here, but but also his team is struggling with, without him. Um, you know, he's it's it's a tough spot here for the Tigers. What's the the kind of the feel for when Jeremiah Tillman might be might be back in the fold here? Conzo had one question about the status 
after the game, he just said, yes, I've talked to him. He's doing as well as can be expected for losing a loved one. And we expect him back soon. Not very specific there. I mean, they, by playing a Tuesday game, they get that extra day before they play again Saturday at South Carolina, but it's a travel day. So, um, you know, you, you've got, they, they leave on Friday for those trips. Uh, I would think he'll be back just based on what Conzo said after the game, unless he's just kind of putting on a brave face at this point and they don't really know. So I don't really want to speculate. And I've been asked a lot by fans and others. It's like, well, who died? Well, it's not all that important. I don't think in the grand scheme of things, it is a family member. We've sort of been told who Um, it's not to where, a point where I can report that or feel comfortable reporting it yet because you just, you, you need more information than that. So it's really not that relevant. It's just, we do know he did lose his, his grandmother um, this summer in June. She died after having COVID. Uh, and I believe that was his father's mom, um, Darlene Tillman, who he was really, really close to. So this is another, another family member. And um, it's, it's hard. Uh, I think you also, you have to be concerned about, okay, um, is this lead, is this lingering with the rest of the team? Are they wondering like, okay, where's our guy? When are you coming back? The uncertainty, I'm sure they care about their teammate. There's no doubt about that, but you also, they want some on their end, they want the basketball question answered. Okay. When are you coming back? And um, you know, he's, he's such an important piece of this team that they've won before without him. They had two last year. They had some good wins without him last year, but right. it's hard to just change your identity mid season Last year, it took a while for them to kind of figure out how to play without them. And, and now they, they have. But again, they were in position to win that game Saturday against a good totally. team. And they were certainly in position to win this game uh, at Georgia. So I don't the, the Tillman, it's a factor. I, I don't think it's a huge excuse at this point because they were right in both of those games. All right. That takes us to my second bucket. And it's two players. And then we'll do a big picture. Xavier Pinson, you mentioned him. Um, he scores 11 points in this one, but went four of 13 from the field. He continued to shoot three-pointers despite making only one. He was one for seven. Um, he had four turnovers, which is as many assists that he had. He was a minus 19 for the game in a game where you really needed him to play well because they're missing one of your other big three in, in Tillman and Mark Smith, who's at times um, one of the key contributors who had some foul troubles. Drew Smith didn't have a good game. He really kind of needed this one to be a Tillman game or I'm sorry, a Pinson game. And he looked just kind of in a fog. At one point he throws a ball off the backboard. Um, I don't know what that was going on there. Uh, I guess a, maybe an alley-oop failed attempt, but this is one game after, you know, Conzo pretty much called Pinson out and said, you know, we got to have a better effort from him. You know, he was very disappointed with him after the old Miss game. What do you make of what's going on with, with X, um, it's not like the team played great without around him. And so it's not, I don't want to single out one guy here, but he's a key player and he hasn't looked right for a few games. What, what do you think's going on with him? Yeah, it's, it's hard to figure that one out. He's usually a guy that is very aware and conscious of his own struggles. Like he is very quick to admit it. Um, we haven't talked to him in a while media wise. So it's hard to kind of get in his head. I don't know if Gonzo is really in his head at this point. But man, it's just, it's just the decision-making is, is not there. And it seemed like there was a point where he was past that, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a, a negative on his game anymore, but it, it certainly was at Georgia. And again, I don't, it, it wasn't the same as maybe Ole Miss where he just looked checked out. He was just, just not 
playing to his strengths again. Like he's not a great jump shooter. He's shooting 33% from three on the year. And that's after having that huge game against TCU. Uh, he, he hit a few big ones in the Arkansas game over the weekend. Um, but he just seems like he's passing up opportunities to do what he does best, you know, absorbing contact, getting to the foul line, attacking at the rim. And when he doesn't do those things, he's just, he's not a good enough three-point shooter to have that be his main asset. And that's the thing that Conzo talks to him about all the time, you know, that the coaches talk to him about and doesn't seem to always get through, you know, this is, I think when he struggles, that puts more on Drew Smith to, for Drew to be something he's not. And when he presses, then they really struggle because Drew had a bunch of turnovers at Georgia. He didn't score in double figures for the first time in a long time. It was not, it was one of his worst games of the year. And it's almost like he's like compensating for Pinson struggles. And when he tries to do that, when they, when any of them get out of their comfort zone, it's not pretty. They're not good enough. They're not talented enough to do that. There was a point plus minus is a very, it's, you can't rely on it. It's a, it's, it's not the most telling statistic, but it can be at times at halftime of that game. Pinson was minus seven and drew bugs who basically they played the same minutes was plus 13. Like there's gotta be something to that. Like now drew missed some, he missed some free throws that just right. The point of the game where it just added to Georgia's momentum, but man, like a guy that doesn't have as much talent, dynamic talent as Pinson does is was more of a, stable force out there um it shouldn't be that way but but that's what it is and man i don't know what you do going forward how do you pull him out of this funk that he's in or is this just who he is right now and maybe i don't know maybe maybe the outlier is what he was in in the big games i don't know yeah they better figure that one out um i I did want to touch on some positives that you mentioned before i kind of we asked the, the big team wide one you know we heard a lot about smith and smith this game, when it was rolling for the Tigers, was all about Brown and Brown. That's right. Kobe Brown and Parker Brown, I thought, had two of the best games we've seen them play. They were feeding off each other. You were kind of seeing how they could. You know, at some point, this team will have to lose some of the guys that are currently leading it. You could kind of see how they could have some game between the two of them. I thought Parker Brown was was kind of taking a step forward. He was trying to fire the guys up when they were trying to, to you know, get back in the game. And, and he just seemed to be doing more than playing. He was leading. And, and, and Kobe has continued to kind of show some – I think he's just gotten a little bit better every year. He was kind of underrated last year. When you look back at his season, you go, man, for a young guy, that was a pretty good season. It's kind of starting to build off of that for him. So those guys, I think, really, really were positives in this game. But they weren't able to, to stop the slide in the, in the second half after the 13-point after the lead, and that's – something we got to hit on here before we kind of zoom out and look at how this could affect the Tigers and what they're going to have to do to keep from winding up on the bubble eventually if they keep playing like this. The This 13-point lead to a loss. This team, if, if I didn't know the team better, I would think, man, they get confident and they think, oh, they're going to cruise to a win. So they, they – and then they get too cocky and then it, and then it gets away from them. But I don't really think that's what they do. It's almost as if they, like – get in their own heads when they get up by a certain point that they can't possibly mess this up and find a way to lose. They change. It's kind of like they change the way they play. Yeah, they yeah. stop running. They start settling for threes. They try, they try to maybe they either shoot a, a bad shot early on the shot clock, or they try to drain it down and don't get a good look. And then I think they kind of soften up on their, on their, on the defensive end some, and it all kind of builds. 
it's not like they're overconfident. It's almost like they're smothering the baby kind of thing. Like the lead yeah. is the baby. How do they snap out of this? And, and why, why did, why do you think this keeps happening to them? I mean, sometimes it doesn't result in a loss. I mean, it happened to them against, against Alabama and they were able to hold on to a win and that's college basketball. I mean, it's a game of runs. So I don't want to make Mizzou seem like it's the only team that this happens to. I mean, if you watched Illinois, which is up to number five in the country last night, they nearly, uh, nearly coughed up a game against Northwestern after leading huge. They found a way to win it in part because they got a national player of the year candidate, Nio DeSumo. They've got a, a closer type. Maybe that's what it is for Mizzou. They don't have the guy who, when that lead is starting to drift, they don't have the guy who can go out and, and, and put an end to the bleeding, um, especially one less option with Tillman gone. But what, what do you think is it about the team that, that, that makes them susceptible to these to these to these gashes of, of coughed up leads and it's not Conzo call a timeout. I mean, that's the easiest thing for everybody to say on Twitter, but it's, it's certainly more than that. Yeah. I think, I think you hit on it. They don't have that dude. They don't have the closer. They, they have good players. And this was a strength back in December and January. It's like, Oh, you don't need to rely on one guy every night. Um, you know, you well, that's you, why they beat Illinois. That, that is why because you, Illinois was playing through Iowa and they had more guys. You can be Mark. It could be Mark Smith one night or Drew Smith one night, but that's fine as long as it's going well. But all of a sudden right. when guys are struggling. They all kind of look at each other, say, who's it going to be? And nobody knows. And, and Konzo said this last night and this fans get upset at this sometimes when they hear this. And I'm sure they did last night. He said, it can't always come from the sideline. And, and it can't like, he was that guy at Purdue. Like he was the dude, like, especially once Glenn Robinson moved on that team even got better more competitive when, when it was Conzo as the alpha dog, this team doesn't have that. And it's just part of its personality. It's part of its makeup. I think Drew Smith can be that at times, but I don't know if he's mean enough. Um, Pinson, certainly not. Tillman was showing signs of it, but obviously he can't be that when he's not there. Um, and then the other guys, I just don't think are good enough consistently. Mark Smith or Pickett or Drew Bugs or Mitchell Smith or anything like that. They're complimentary players. I, we were talking about this after the game last night. You said Cassius Robertson. They don't have a Cassius. Um, tonight, today, just just completely uh, off topic, but related. Today is the, I think, three-year anniversary of the game at LSU where they lost a tight game. And uh, Cassius, after the game, uh, let his leadership show out maybe on the team bus afterwards. I'm not sure that story's ever been fully told, but they don't have that guy that'll do that. They'll speak up and stick up for the team and, um, and kind of set everybody straight. And they all look at it and say, Oh, okay. That's how it's done. You know, who else, who else was that in the past? Maybe a Marcus Denman and his, his a different way. Um, certainly look back at the great norm teams, even, you know, some of Quinn Snyder's teams had a Clarence Gilbert, who was that guy. This team just doesn't really have that. And, and Conzo's right. It can't come from the sideline all the time. It, they're not puppets where you can just like dictate what they do and who they are and everything they do on the court. They've got to be able to, and that's what's supposed to be the strength of this team, the experience, the grit, the guys that have been through the tough times, they were supposed to, this was supposed to be their strength, but it seems like it's suddenly now a weakness to some degree, maybe. Yeah. I think that's, that's a tough, but fair criticism based off what we've, what we've seen um, now. Let's zoom out, and for everyone who's losing their minds, and you know, <laughs> on the ledge. I, thought, I thought Jeff Gordon had a really good column today yep. about you know some of this is perspective. Some of the same people who were, you know, predicting that Missouri was going to be a terrible team entering this season, are now ripping the team for 
for not maintaining its top 10 ranking, yeah. which no one saw coming. So, I mean, this was always a team that was going to be, it was going to be a success if they got into the tournament. Um, they have a potential that's higher than that, but we've said a million times, they're only as good as they, as, as they play all together. And if they have cylinders that aren't firing, it's over. I mean, they can lose to anybody. We've seen that. They can, they, yeah. they can beat a lot of teams. I mean, they've, they have taken advantage of, of big games and won them, which I mean, I don't, I don't ever overlook a win. Um, you know, they've beaten some of the, some of the best teams around. So I think that the key for them will be getting, playing their best when it matters most, which will be in the tournament, but you also don't want to completely back into the tournament. Yeah. And if they, if they keep losing, then they could find themselves on the bubble. I don't think that's a, that's a overly um, alarmist take here. They, they are playing a bad South Carolina team on Saturday, um, but you never just count a win against a Frank Martin team because, right. you know, you just, they're, they're tough. They're not good, but they're tough. And, and then they, you know, they got to close this thing out. The, also, you know, as of now, the, the SEC tournament is going on as planned, and that will be taken into consideration um, in terms of, of the selection committee. You don't want to be the team that ends the, ends the season on a five-game bad losing streak. Right. That doesn't bode well when there are other teams that are making noise and trying to climb onto the bubble. Um, but I also say this, like as Gordo pointed out, a lot of Missouri's key wins have come against teams that were missing a guy for a game. Yeah. Well, now Missouri's missing one of its big guys for a game and teams are, yeah. are finding ways to take advantage. Of it. So when you actually examine the details, maybe it's a little more, a little more um, sane that, that this has happened. But again, they've got to get back on the right track. Where do things stand right now in terms of where they are tournament wise, net wise, and, uh, and, and, and how confident should Missouri followers be that this team is a tournament team, but also, you know, that they're not going to just completely, you know, have a, a rotten seed and no shot in the tournament by the time right. they get there. Right. Well, this, the schedule, and I, I said this a week ago, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword at this point because you've got, basically four games in a row that are really winnable. All four teams have been below Mizzou in the standings, but they're the kind of games that there's not a whole lot to gain and there's a lot to lose. You yeah. look, just look at the net rankings between Tuesday and Wednesday. Missouri dropped six spots because they lost to Georgia. Georgia went up 10 spots. It was clearly considered an upset. You know, Vegas had it as a three-point line, but in, in, in the big picture, looking at the net, that's a big upset. So Mizzou's down to 43 now in the net rankings and that's one, two, three, four, five, sixth in the sec. They're actually in seventh place in the sec as of Wednesday, if the seedings came out today for the conference tournament. Now you go to South Carolina, again, another team way below them. They're in the hundreds in the net next week. Then you host a and M they've actually passed up or I guess fallen behind is a better word. Vanderbilt is the worst team in the sec. They're at one thirty-eight. So that would be a disastrous loss. And, and remember it, AM swept Missouri last year. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that you lose to them. Um, you still have a game with Vanderbilt and LSU to make up. You still play a game at Florida. Uh, they're, they're right ahead of Missouri in the net at 30, but they've been kind of fading lately. So there's, a not, there's not a whole lot to gain. Like this, the ceiling is kind of closing in on Missouri, but there's still a pretty deep floor they keep losing these. They're going to find themselves not just on the bubble, but possibly on the wrong side of the bubble, even though it quad one wins. And hopefully by now fans understand what this means, because this is year four that they're using the system, but quad one wins. Missouri still has five. 
And there's only four teams that have, or five teams that have more. And those are all upper echelon teams like Baylor and Gonzaga and Ohio state and Illinois and Alabama is the other one. So they're in good shape there. Um, they really need, they, they could really use Oregon to keep winning because they're barely a quad, that's barely a quad one win right now. Uh, they could use Wichita State to keep winning because that's barely a quad two win right now. The crazy thing is a home win over Kentucky is a quad three win. Like that's nuts to think that any win over Kentucky doesn't really help right. at all anymore. Right. But that's, <laughs> that's the reality of this season. So they're still in okay shape, but at this point, I really think they can fall a lot further than they can climb. If that if that makes sense, this is kind of reminding me of the uh, 2013-14 Consul's coach in Tennessee, and they lose a road game at Texas A&M in overtime, and they fall to seven and seven in the SEC. And it was you know people were upset. It was it was a team the team was sixteen and eleven, and it had lost like four of its last six games, and and the wheels were coming off. Well, the team finished the the regular season. What I think. Uh, something like a five game winning streak and then ends up getting into the first four and makes a run all the way to the sweet 16. So I point that out, not because I, I think that's going to happen here. We could, I'm just saying there is a difference between this kind of fine stage three or four of the season and then the final push. So right. I, I think it's safe to say that if South Carolina is going to tell us a lot about the direction of this season, um, if, the, if that game is a is a loss, and if Tillman's status is still up in the air, if he comes back and doesn't play well, um, then it's going to be hard to see this team kind of veering off of the, the 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 getting the trajectory back on track. But you know, most teams in college basketball do have a losing streak at one point of three right. or more games, except for everybody but Gonzaga or Baylor probably right. this right. season. So I'll caution folks to to bail. And uh, to, to, you know, say it's over, but, uh, you know, it is uh, the red light, the warning light is flashing for this yeah. team right now. That's, I don't know what else to, what else to, to say. I think, that's a, I think that's a fair but also reasonable take. Yeah, it, it reminds me of in Conzo's first year, and that was the Michael Porter Jr. drama season where there was that. Imagine like the speculation and the uncertainty of Tillman's status times a million every night. That's, that's yeah. what this was like. Um, for very, very different scenarios, obviously, but they lost three straight games and that was late January. So a little bit earlier in the season, A&M, Auburn and Mississippi State. And it seemed like, OK, season's over. They're three and five in the SEC. Then they go to Alabama for a Wednesday night game. and It was a decent Alabama team uh, and they win. And I remember that team celebrating afterwards like they just won you know, just made the final four. And I think a lot of it was there was this pressure that came off of them. And all of a sudden they reminded themselves that they were a good team. And that team, they, they won five straight. They, they beat Kentucky right after that. They swept the Mississippi schools. Um, they, they beat A&M. Now they did have another three game losing streak, but they kind of found themselves again and got, got their second win. And all of a sudden they went from bottom of the SEC standings to knocking on the door of that double buy. So it is possible. You can change you don't change who you are, but you can change the trajectory pretty quickly in a season where you're playing two games every week. So we'll, we'll see if they can do it again. Yes. And uh, we'll see if they get Tillman back and ready to roll. That's the, that's going to be a big key here. I think for the way this season shakes out, when's he back and what does he look like when he, when he returns, we can't, we can't really dice it up any more than we have Dave. Um, we'll have full coverage of the game Saturday in the post dispatch pages 
of the paper, as well as stltoday.com. I encourage folks once again to check out your sit down with Drinkwitz. I think they'll, they'll get a kick out of that. Um, good work as always, my friend, and we will uh, catch up with everybody next week. Enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you guys next week, everybody. Take care, and we'll remind you too, find the podcast, stltoday.com slash podcast. You can find it on iTunes. I think there was some trouble uploading it to iTunes last week. We're going to get that sorted out. Thank you for those who pointed that out. So we back up there and we'll see you soon. For Dave, I'm Ben. Have a good week, everyone.